we owe all to him. It's a vast understatement, but it's true. Thank you again for coming uh, this morning and uh, worshiping with us. It's um, going to be a great, great privilege to continue through our series this morning called Journey Through the Bible. Uh, I do want to make a note before I go any further that normally we do have uh, the Lord's Supper this morning, but um, one of our deacons is out and it'll, it'll be a little bit easier for us to do it next week. And so, um, and so you just have a longer sermon. So you're welcome. So there you go. All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, you're good and you're kind and you're faithful to us. And um, I just pray, Lord, that as we journey through your Bible, uh, we might pray as the psalmist of Psalm 119 prayed, saying, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Help us to see you, Lord, in all your, your beauty, your radiance, your splendor, how you are the pearl of great price, the treasure worth selling all in this life to gain. I pray you begin now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to be talking about a few different events from the Old Testament from the book of Genesis this morning as we continue to journey our way through the Bible and to see how the entire uh, Bible is really just telling one story of God's work in the world to uh, glorify his name through the restoration of humanity through Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning we'll, we'll pick up the promise. Remember the promise that e- immediately after sin, God's, the fall, God still gave the world a promise, a descendant, an offspring of the woman who would destroy the works of the devil. And we followed the line of promise uh, through uh, Seth, through Enoch, through Noah, to a man named Abraham. And God lands his promise squarely on the shoulders of Abraham, and it would be through this man named Abraham that the fulfillment of his promise uh, would come. And, uh, and this morning what we see is that uh, the, the, the bloodline of the promise, it continues. It's not com- it, it, it is restored in the person of Abraham, uh, but it doesn't terminate on Abraham. It's still going to follow down through the children of the promise. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? We're going to read from Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. 
everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abram rose early in the morning and took took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The word of God. You may be seated. We're going to see three things um, from the passages that we look at this morning. Three things. Number one, God keeps his promises. Number two, our faith in God's promises is revealed by obedience. And number three, God fulfills his promises through grace. So again, number one, God keeps his promises. Number two, our faith in God's promises is revealed by obedience. And number three, God fulfills his promises through grace. First, God keeps his promises. I've been hammering on this a lot, uh, and I'm going to continue to because your whole life depends on whether or not you believe what God says. And so, to the extent to which you believe God and his word and his promises, it's a, the extent to which your life will be changed. Little faith, little change. Much faith, much change in your life. God keeps his promises, and we see this very clearly in chapter 21, verse 1 and 2, which we just read. Three times in these two verses, notice that the writer, the narrator, refers back to God's word. It says, again, in 21, 1 and 2, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. In other words, in just these few verses, over and over again, the narrator is emphasizing how the birth of Isaac is what? Is a fulfillment of what God had spoken. In other words, the narrator and God is want, wants it to be remarkably clear that Isaac is the result of the mighty working and power of God to fulfill his promise. To complete his word. God told Abraham that he would make him a great nation when he was around 75 years old. At 75 years old, most people are preparing a will, not a nursery. Okay? It's true. And yet, here, Abraham is 100 years old. And Sarah is 90 years old, and they named him Isaac, which means he laughs. Because <laughs> she said, everyone will laugh at me, and we do, because <laughs> it's amazing. It's a miracle. God made a promise, and think about it. Again, he made the promise when he was around 75. Isaac was born when he was around 100. That's 25 years 
Have you ever waited for something for 25 years? We're so impatient, we, we can't even wait for our screens to load on our iPhones. If it's too slow, we throw it out and buy the new one. 25 years. It's a long time for us. It's not a long time for God. God's not slow. God's always right on time. And God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promise. And the scripture says, as we talked about last time, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what is it? Now, what does this mean for us? It means that God, this book is full of God's promises. And it means for us that practically what we need to do in one of the ways in which we need to approach this book is to look for Look in, in it for all of God's promises to us. Why? So you can believe them. Why? So it will change you. This book is a treasure trove of the promises of God. And so when God says something, it is true, it is real, and it is full, and it is final. And that changes the way you think. It changes the way you live. It changes your perspective on things. And therefore, it changes you. And, and I want to suggest to you this morning that and we'll talk about it more in the future, but the Bible says that, that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. I believe if you read the New Testament carefully, you'll see that Jesus is portrayed as the new Israel. That is, Israel failed to be God's, God's obedient son, so Jesus, God sent Jesus to be the obedient son for us. And Jesus came and he stepped in our place and he fulfilled what we owed to God for us but could not do. Jesus steps in our place and in him, the Bible says, the promises now land on us because he is the, he is the end of the promise. He's the one, he's the ultimate one through whom the promises of God would come. And if we are in Jesus, if we have turned away from ourselves and trusting in our own wisdom and our own way and looked and believed in Jesus, the Son of God. The Bible says we are in him. We are the new Israel. And that means every promise ever made in this book belongs to you. Even if it was made to the people of Israel, it belongs to you because in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. So just let me give you one example of what I'm talking about. Lots going on in this world. Maybe you're having a tough time in your life. I think one of the greatest promises in the Bible is Isaiah 41, verse 10. I would strongly encourage you to write this down, to go home, and to memorize this verse, and to mull on it, to meditate on it. Let it be the refrain of your life. This is what it says, Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What is that? It's a promise of God. You see it? It's a promise of God. Are you afraid of something right now? Are you anxious about something right now? Are you angry about something right now? Are you worried about something right now? What does God say? Fear not. Why? For I'm with you. Be not dismayed. Don't be angry. Don't be upset. Don't be worried. Why? 
for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. To the extent that you believe God's promises is to the extent that you will be changed under your difficult circumstance. To the extent that you believe that God is for me, that I should not fear because God is with me, that I will not be dismayed because the God of the universe is not just any God, but he's my God. And when you believe that, that changes you. He's not just some God that's far off. He's not just some God that's just bear, that's disinterested in the world. Through Jesus Christ, the king of the cosmos is my God. And he will help me and he will strengthen me. And if you believe that, that will change you under your circumstances. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And this is 100% true in Jesus Christ. God will strengthen you. God will help you. He will uphold you. And if you believe that, then it changes. Your circumstance, your circumstance might not change, but the way you look at it changes. Why? Because you, you give up on yourself and finally rely on the God who's stronger than you, who's mightier than you. Who can't uphold you. Who can't, you can't do nothing about your situation, but your God can. And it changes the way you view your situation and your life. It gives you strength and confidence because of the might and power and strength of your God. If God is a God who keeps his promises, and he is, then you can bank all your life and your everything on him. And it can and it will change the way you look at the world. And it will free you from the bondage of so many things. And in this example, fear and anxiety and worry and stress. It can free you because God is able. There's a second thing I want to note here in this passage. And I want us to think about not just that God keeps his promises, but how God keeps his promises. It says here in verse 2 that Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And not just his old age, but... Her old age. Why? Think about it. God didn't have to do it this way. He could have come to Abraham when Abraham was, you know, 22 years old. And when Sarah was, well, that would have made Sarah about 12, wouldn't it? So maybe we should change it. He could have came to Abraham when, she was, when he was 32 years old. And that made Sarah 22 years old. When they're in the height of their strength. Okay? He could have done that. He could have done that. Why didn't he do that? Why wait till he's 100 and she's 90? Why? To show that his promise is not going to be kept by the strength of man, but by the power of God. In other words, God has a point and a plan to do things in such a way that only he can get glory for it because he's not going to let puny old you to steal his glory. And if, and if, and if and God will oftentimes do things like this miraculously just, just to make the point to show that it doesn't depend on our strength but on the might and the power of God. And he does this intentionally because why? Because we have a tendency to like to take credit for it. Oh, I worked so hard. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. Oh, I'm smarter than everyone else. And what do we do? We, we, act like every, all the, we act like all the blessings of our life have everything to do with us and nothing to do with God. Everything that we have is only because God's eye is on you. And let me tell you something. If he didn't want you to have it, he could take it away today. And what are you going to say then? 
But because God is kind and God is merciful, so often he gives us more than we deserve. And it's not because of our goodness and because of our strength. It's because of his grace and his mercy and his power. God will not share his glory with another. And this is a true principle that affects lots of things. Uh, Just one example of it is the fact that we are saved by uh, faith and not by works. Right? God, in, in this, this picture of Isaac being born as a miracle, uh, is a picture in other places of the Bible of our salvation. God, Abraham had no power to fulfill this promise. He had no power to birth the child, but God did it. It was an act of grace. And, and in the same way, we are saved by faith and not by works. This is, this is what sets Christianity apart because it's not based on our power, but on God's. And so if we're just, so every other religion says do 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 and God says done 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 done. Every other religion says look you know look at me look how good I keep all the rules. Paul was more moral than any person in this room. Paul was a Pharisee, he was a Jew of Jews. He would put all of us to shame in terms of how holy he looked on the outside and Paul said Paul himself said, everything I ever did for God before I was saved was garbage. And if we try to do all our good works trying to earn our salvation and we take it to God, we don't, what we don't see is that it's garbage. God doesn't need anything from us. We need everything from God. So what we have to do is not try to pile up our good works, but to just call out to God and say, God, I'm worthless. God, save me. And the glory of it is he will. When you finally give up on yourself and believe in him and look to him and stop trying to make yourself smell good like putting lipstick on a pig. Stop it. Come to Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what we're saved. Trust in God, not in yourself. And this is, this is what it is. God requires this of, it, of us because this is the only religion like this. It's humbling. We all of us, we have this innate desire to, we all, we all have this innate desire to try to, you know, we don't want to hand out. If you don't want to hand out, you can't be saved. We bring nothing to the table in our relationship with God. We bring nothing. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We just have to say, God, have mercy on me. The glorious thing is in it, though, is that when you believe, when you, when you give up control of your life, you will be changed. And your works for God will actually mean something. But if you do it as to try to earn your salvation, it's worthless. It's garbage. Jesus, in John 6, 28, said this. He says, they, said that, they asked Jesus, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do... To, to get it. What must we do to get into heaven? Jesus said this. This is the work of God. That you believe in him. Whom he has sent. You really. You, if you want to know the one thing that God wants you to do right now. Some of you maybe you're wondering. What does God want me to do? Here's the, here, if the one word God has for you today. What does God want me to do? It's this. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus today. The one who came, the one who died, the one who rose again, the one who's quickly coming soon. Believe in him, and you'll be doing what God wants you to do, and it'll change you. 
The final thing I want to talk about in this passage is this uh, rather difficult part where Sarah tells Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And it gives the reason for this, and God gives the reason for allowing this to happen. Um, he says, in, in, um, he says uh, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's uh, verse 12. He says, do, as Sarah, do what Sarah tells to you, Abraham, send Hagar and Ishmael away. Why? Because through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So you have to think about what's happening here. Who, who is Ishmael? Ishmael was not the son of the promise. God gave Abraham this promise. But what happened? Sarah got impatient. She said, I want a son. And so uh, she did what happened sometimes in those times, and she gave her servant to Abraham to have a son, as it were, on her behalf. She got impatient on God's promise. 25 years. She got impatient. But God says here, see, Ishmael wasn't the son of the promise. And God says, it was through Isaac shall your offspring be named. What does that mean? It means that Isaac is the son of the promise. The promise that God gave to Abraham that, that landed on him from the very beginning, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed, that through him the Messiah, the Christ, would come. Those promises even or will not go to Ishmael, but they will go to Isaac. Because, because Isaac is the promised child. He is the one whom God gave as a miracle, not Ishmael. He's the son of the promise. And this is important because in Romans chapter 9, Paul picks up on this and he, he perceives a problem. Because think about what's happening in Paul's day. In Paul's day, Jesus Christ has come. The Messiah has come, the one who fulfills all the promises has come, and guess who's not believing in the Messiah? The Jews. The promised people who receive the promises are rejecting the promised one. And Paul sees that this is a problem. Why? Because what do we make then of all of God's promises? What do we make then of all of God's promises that God would bless this people and this nation, and yet they're rejecting the promised one? This is what Paul says in Romans 9, 6. It says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. It's not. For no, why? <laughs> For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is, not the children, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So what is so what, what's Paul saying to answer this question about is God, is not, is God not keeping his, his promise to the Jews? What's the deal? Since the Jews are not being saved, then God's answer is this. No, God is keeping his promise to the Jews. And here's why. Because not all who are Israel are actually Israel. Not everyone who has the blood of Abraham is a true child of Abraham. Because to be a true child of Abraham is to believe like him. 
not have his blood. You see what he's saying? It's the children of the promise. God is faithful to his people because he is faithful to the children of Abraham because the children of Abraham are not just his physical descendants, but his faith-filled descendants. And this is what it says in Romans 4.16. This is what it says. It says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who, sh- who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So just, just, just slow down a minute and just get what I'm saying. Why does a man who lived 4,000 years ago matter to us? It matters because the Bible says, because on the, all the promises of God landed on this man and, the, and, and to his children, and the Bible says, you are his child if you share his faith. So 4,000 years later, in this room, if you believe in the promise, the promise of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Abraham is your father. A man 4,000 years ago is your father, and you're his child. If you believe in the promise that he did. That's, see, we don't get it. We don't get it when we tell our children. We don't get it when we tell them. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. What greater thing can you praise the Lord for than the fact that you are a child of Abraham, an heir of the promise? God keeps his promises. And if you are in Abraham, you get every single one of them. They belong to you. So number one, God keeps his promises. Number two, our faith in God's promises is revealed by obedience. Our faith in God's promises is revealed by obedience. Just look over to the next chapter there. Uh, Genesis 22, we're going to read now verses 1 through 14. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I, here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and two of his young men and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb 
for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Our faith in God's promises is revealed by obedience. God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Who's Isaac? The promised child. The child of his 100 year old, uh, that he had when he was 100 years old, the child of the promise. The child through whom God said his offspring would be named. And yet God tells him to kill him, to sacrifice him. What, what, what's going on here? Well, I think he, obviously he's testing Abraham. And not just that, he's testing Abraham's faith. But what he's also doing is he's giving Abraham a picture, a taste of what God himself would have to do to keep his promise to Abraham. And as I talked about last time, it's, just, it's important to note that this is not... This is not some kind of example of cosmic child abuse. This is God who gave, who landed the promise squarely on Abraham and, and gave the promise that through Isaac your offspring will be named. And so Abraham knows that somehow, even if he kills his son, somehow God would still keep his promise. And so it's clear here that it's a test of Abraham's faith. Abraham knew it, as we talked about last time in Hebrews, it says that, Abraham believed that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead if he had to, to keep his promise because he knew he believed what God had said. And that was the secret to Abraham's faith. What was the secret? What made Abraham obey a hard command? His faith. Right? He was able to do something that most of us would think was unthinkable, to kill the son of the promise. He was able and he was willing to do it. Why? Because he believed God's promise. And it enabled him to obey no matter how hard it was. And that's what I'm talking about. The same is true for us. Obedience to Christ and God is hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would be a Christian. Jesus said... He who was following me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Obedience is hard, but obedience is possible, though. How? When you believe. When you believe that, when you believe when Jesus said it's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive, then when you believe that, guess what? You can be generous. 
without being ornery about it. When you believe that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, and when you believe that he is with us to the very end of the age, and when you believe that there is a kingdom that is coming that will surpass and destroy every other kingdom that stands in its way, and that our obedience to God, no matter how costly and how painful, will receive more than infinite reward in the age to come. When you believe that, then you can give your life and the lives of your children and the lives of your grandchildren to go to far-off nations to tell the gospel to people that may kill them. If you don't believe that, then you have no power to obey. But if you believe, then you can. Then you can say, go, my child, no matter what it costs you, and I'll see you on the other side. And your reward will be with you. When you believe God, you can obey. Our faith is shown by our obedience. That's how we know that Abraham believed. Because he obeyed. Obedience is not the root of your salvation, but it is the fruit of your salvation. Jesus said, you will know them by their works. So, if someone professes faith in Jesus Christ, but they show no obedience to Jesus Christ, what do we know? They don't believe. Belief will produce works. And so when we believe, that's when we're changed. When we believe, that's when we can do hard things. When we believe, that's when we can let go of, of this life and cling to the next one. Think, come on, it's not, it's not, it's, it's actually, it's simple economics, really. This world is short, you're not promised tomorrow, but you're guaranteed eternal life, and how you live for Jesus now will be your reward in the life to come. Come on, be smart. Be smart. Would you invest... Would you invest all your life and your money in something you know you're going to lose? Or would you invest all your time and life and all your hard-earned money in something you know you'll get to keep forever? Which is smarter? Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. And Jesus said, it will be waiting for you, poured into your lap, pressed down, shaken, overflowing. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's what Jesus says. If we believe. And not only do we see this in this text, but we can't miss the most important part of this whole story with Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. Again, this story, as important as it is, as an illustration of faith for us, it is not ultimately about Abraham's faith or even about ultimately about our faith. But it's about... The faithfulness of God. I believe that when God commanded Abraham to do this, what he was doing, <laughs> see, God, God knows things. He sees. He knows what he's doing. It's all part of his plan. I believe God commanded Abraham to do this because he was showing us, Abraham and us, through the scriptures and all the people who would come after, what God would do to keep his promise. What God would do to keep his promise. He was showing Abraham that the price of the promise would be costly. It would be costly. It would take, it would take sacrifice. It would take blood for God to fulfill his promise to bless all the nations. 
That is why, and this is why, hear me now, when God tells Abraham, go and take your son, not just your son, your only son, not just your only son, the son whom you love, and take him and sacrifice him on the altar. But, but what happened? He didn't have to sacrifice him. Why? Because God provided a substitute, right? What is God saying? God is saying the price of the promise is going to be costly. It's going to cost the son, but not yours. When Jesus came and he was baptized at the Jordan River, a voice thundered down from heaven. This is my beloved son. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The price of the promise would be costly, only it wouldn't cost us. It would cost him. It doesn't, our beloved son wouldn't cut it, so God had to send his beloved son. And on the cross, there was no substitute for Jesus to step in. Why? Because he was the substitute for you and for me. We should have been on that cross. We should have been bearing the wrath of God for our sins. But God had promised to Abraham, he said, I will provide my son. I'll provide. And therefore, Abraham said, on the mount of the Lord, it was provided. Abraham believed God would keep his promise that even if it required God to raise Isaac from the dead. And so too, we believe that God has kept his promise because he has raised his son from the dead. And because Jesus Christ is alive today, Muhammad's dead, Buddha's dead, All the spiritual gurus that are on Oprah Winfrey will be dead in 50 years. Jesus Christ is alive. And because he lives, we know God's promise is true. And that's how we can love and serve and give ourselves for him no matter the cost. Because the promise is true. God is faithful to his promises. So God keeps his promise Our faith in God's promises is revealed by obedience. And finally, God fulfills his promise through grace. And I'm going to be brief here. You know the story of Isaac, uh, perhaps. Isaac had two sons, right? Jacob and Esau. And you remember here that, um, I'm sorry, yeah, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And so you remember Jacob, Jacob's name means he cheats. You remember the story about, Je- about Jacob? He's a cheater. He cheated. He cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. He cheated his brother, brother Esau out of his blessing. He's a cheater. Okay? But an event happens to Jacob in, in Genesis uh, 28. An event happens to Jacob. He cheats his brother. Esau wants to kill him. Uh, Jacob runs away to his, to, to his family uh, over in uh, uh, Haran. And Joseph, uh, Jacob is on the way there. And Jacob has a dream. 
You remember the dream that Jacob has? We, we sing a song about it to our kids. We tell about it to our kids, Jacob's Ladder. Right? And in that story, what's it, what's it say? He said he had a dream, and it said, Behold, heaven was opened up. And he saw a ladder, or it could be translated a, a stairway to heaven. And it said, Angels were ascending and descending on this ladder to heaven. And if you look there in, in Genesis 28, you'll see that God, all the promises that God gave to Abraham, he gives them to Jacob. It's right there in 28. All the promises that God gives to Abraham, he gives to Jacob. And what's my point here? My point here is that God fulfills his promise through grace. What does that mean? This is what it means. Jacob was a cheater. He was no better than Esau. But he got the promises. He did. That's what the Bible says. What does it mean? It means that God is a gracious God. That's what it means. It means Jacob didn't deserve it, but he got it. Why? Because of God's grace. That's what it means. And that means that every one of us, look, we owe everything to God. We owe our salvation to God. Look, we're not that... I just want you to think about this for a minute. Why is it that you were born in America? Did you choose to be born here? Grace. Why is it that you were born at a time in history, like your lifetime, where you were able to live in a specific place at a specific time, where somebody shared the gospel with you? Why? Grace. Let me tell you something. God hasn't given that to everybody. It's called grace. God gives us in his grace what we don't deserve. And when you experience grace, hear me now, it changes you. Jacob was a cheater. God showed him grace that he didn't deserve. But when he saw what God was going to do for him, even when how unworthy he was of it, grace changed him. He had to be cheated by his uncle to be changed. He had to wrestle with God and, and have an out-of-joint hip to be changed. But God changed him. Because grace changes you. When you're loved and you know you don't deserve it, that changes you. But even that's not the ultimate story about Jacob's ladder. I'll read this and I'll be done. John 1, 47 through 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's Jesus saying? What's Jesus telling Nathaniel? I'm Jacob's ladder. 
I'm the way to heaven. And if you take me, if you climb on me, you'll get to God. But I'm the only way. And that is a gift of grace. And so as I conclude this morning, I just say this and I'll extend the invitation to all. You, I pray that there are those in this room right now being touched by the grace of God. And I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is the way to God. And if you will believe in him and and trust in him that he has been sent by the Father, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he's coming back. And if you will cast all your hope and all your life and surrender to him, heaven will be opened to you. And you'll ascend straight to God through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. And I pray you'll come to him.